Amen. And now it is time in the course of our worship where we turn to those ancient words. So if you have your Bible, I would ask you to open your Bible to the Gospel of John. And if you have your Pew Bible, you turn to five, page 560. Page 560 of your Pew Bible, we continue our journey to the Gospel of John. For those who were here last Sunday, we started the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. Now we continue the words of the Gospel of John from verses 19 to 34. I will be reading, just like in your pew Bible, from the New King James. Hear now the Word of God for us this morning. John, chapter 1, verses 19, all the way to verse 34. Hear the Word of the Lord this morning for us. Now this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the weight of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, now those who were sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you, have, you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stand one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandals strapped I am not worthy to lose. These things were done in Bethbara beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me. For he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And he remained upon him. I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let us pray for God to bless the meditation upon his word this morning. Oh God, we come this morning. We come with hearts that are joyful as we worship and we come to these ancient words as we sang, asking you, Lord, that the same Holy Spirit which descended upon Christ may be present with us, Lord. That you open my mouth, Lord, that my words shall not be mine, but shall reflect your intent in this text. And that, Lord, you will show us yourself. The beauty of the Lamb of God. 
show yourself to us this morning. And help us to point to you in our thoughts, in our conversations, in our hearts. Be with us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. We all know what a public testimony is, don't we? Especially when you go and testify in court. You have to swear to say the truth. Everything the truth and nothing else but the truth. In fact, still in America we have the tradition to lay our hand upon the Bible. To swear that we shall say the truth and give our testimony in court. And sometimes this testimony in court are actually a game changer. It is enough to have one person in a court case to come forward to completely change the verdict over that situation. You may have saw this in media and famous court case in the past. I think about 10 years ago when Anita Hill was testifying against Clarence Thomas. Or more recently, Christine Belasi Ford testifying against Kavanaugh. Now, well, regardless of whether we agree with the final verdict, we know that some testimonies are really crucial to change the entire direction of a case. And this is also true in Christian circles, isn't it? We know what, what it is to actually share our testimony. When we are before unbelievers and we share how we came to Christ. Some of you are uh, been reading the book that I've wrote about my testimony of conversion from Italian Catholicism. That is an example of what a testimony looks like. But, however, the risk for all these cases is the problem is when we get lost in a rabbit trail that is focused only upon us, upon who we are, and or maybe a specific agenda or a political agenda like in those uh, court cases. Instead of the truth. Instead of, in the case of a Christian testimony, of who Christ is. Who is Jesus? And also, the needed response that we have to have of who this Jesus is. Which is to turn away from our sin, to repent of our sins, and to believe in Christ. That should be the purpose of our testimony. We know that we receive witness of man, often in our life. But the witness of God, the scripture says, is greater. And the witness of scripture is testifying of his son. That Jesus Christ is the son of God. He is the lamb of God. And that is the ultimate testimony that we want to see this morning from the gospel of John. We are continuing our journey to John, the gospel of John and as we saw last week, for those of you who were there, we saw the introduction to the Gospel of John. The first 18 verses, the dense description of who Jesus is. That He is God, that He is man, and that He is a Savior. Now, the goal of the Gospel, again, is for you to see that He is the Messiah, the promise deliverer of His people, Israel, in the Old Testament. And for you to believe in this Messiah. To bow to Him. And our passage today. Verses 19 to 34. Is crucial to establish such truth. I know that in our text. We have too many Johns. We have John the Baptist. 
we have John the Apostle. So don't get confused here. John the Apostle who is writing this gospel. But today we see the ultimate testimony given by John the Baptist. I mean, John the Apostle was actually a disciple of John the Baptist. But uh, as I was speaking with some of you last week, uh, some people uh, belonging to the Church of Christ, which is very widespread in our area, say, Oh, you Baptists worship John the Baptist, don't you? Well, we shall see today that this is not definitely the case. John the Baptist was just an ambassador, a forerunner. He was not... He didn't want it to be in the spotlight. The words of our text shows us that his goal, the goal of his entire ministry was to just point us to Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was a Nazarite. We hear his story from other gospel. Uh, he had made this vow which was typical in the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. He, he had long hair and he was now gathering crowds in the deserts. And he was telling them to repent of their sin and to come and get baptized. We could say that this passage over here of John chapter 1 verses 19 to 34 represent the fading away or the end of John the Baptist's ministry. Because, yes, he will continue to baptize after this episode. But six months later, after what is recorded here, he will go to jail. Imprisoned by Herod for uh, preaching against Herod, taking unlawfully his brother's sister as a wife. And then he will die. So this is a special moment. Even for John the Apostle, who is writing this gospel, he's telling you the first moment in his diary where he meets his Savior. As he is a disciple of John the Baptist, but soon... Today and next Sunday, he will follow his Savior, Jesus Christ. So, the Gospel of, of, uh, of John does not start in a manger, but here. And Jesus is, from the start of this Gospel, identified as the Messiah. Through what? Through the witness of John the Baptist. Through this, the historical event that takes place in verse 28 tells us that John the Baptist is in Bethara. Literally, the house of crossing, which is located beyond the Jordan, on the east bank of the river Jordan. We are only 25 miles from Nazareth, the hometown of Jesus. And John the Baptist now in this event, before everyone, declares that the Messiah has come. That Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, everyone at this point. Point in history was awaiting for the Messiah. And this is the beginning of, of the revelation of Jesus in his public ministry to prove to the Jewish nation that he indeed is the deliverer of Israel. And so John is, is really the testifier here in this court case. He sets for us the evidence of the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. And what we gather here is that the whole identity and purpose of John the Baptist's testimony and therefore of our testimony is to tell people to repent of their sin and believe in Christ. Repent of their sin and believe in Christ. 
And we see two things in our text. The first things we see that in the words of John the Baptist is that we are not the Messiah. We are not the, the, the Savior. We point people to Jesus. That the identity and purpose of John the Baptist in particular was to prepare Israel to the Messiah, the coming Savior, the coming Deliverer. And so the, the religious leaders are coming and they're asking to Jesus. Before Jesus comes to John the Baptist, they're asking to John the Baptist, who are you? Verses 19 to 23. It sets forward for us the, the, the testimony of, of John the Baptist. The record, the witness of John the Baptist. That word testimony is very important in the Gospel of John. It means to remember, to recollect and in this case, it's not a private testimony. This is a public testimony of John the Baptist before everyone that Jesus is the Messiah. He's testifying before everyone, not just for the fact that Jesus existed, that he was a, a historical person who lived 2,000 years ago. No, he's testifying to the nature of who Christ is, as we saw last week. But also to the significance of who he is. That he is the son of God. That ultimately there in verse 34. I have seen it testify that this is the son of God. That is the content of John the Baptist's testimony concerning Jesus. And this is indeed a, a, a word that we use in the legal sphere. In, as we saw in the court case. But it's more than that. It is also a confession of faith. John the Baptist is placing his faith in this coming Jesus, Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And so it is an evangelistic confession of faith from John the Baptist, which will not, as we will see later in the gospel, will, will not be so clear because even in jail, John the Baptist you know, sends messengers back to Jesus and says, are you the one that we are looking for? Because some of the expectations of this Messiah, as we see, will be confused. But it is a crucial word. That this is the testimony. 37 times the word testimony is in the New Testament. 30 times is in the Gospel of John. So John comments throughout his Gospel. Whenever Jesus does a miracle. Or during the crucifixion and the resurrection. That this is a testimony. Those are testimonies laid out for you. As evidence for you to believe. John 19.35 says. He who has seen has testified. And his testimony is true. He's talking about himself. And he knows that he's telling the truth. So that you may believe. You can see the same thing in 1 John. Chapter 5. Verse 9 and 11. So John here. Is like a witness in court. Who is giving attestation. And he's describing. That Jesus he is three things. First of all, he's giving a testimony by saying, I am not the Messiah. That's what the religious leader were asking John. But then he's saying that when he sees Jesus coming for getting baptized, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. So he is the Messiah. To the point that we'll see next Sunday, he sends his disciples to Jesus. He gives up his disciples and he sends them to Jesus. But again, you have these priests and Levites from Jerusalem who are saying, who are you, John the Baptist? I mean, think about it. 400 years have passed. 
before there was no prophet in Israel. The canon of scripture at the Old Testament had finished 400 years of silence. And now here comes this person who is dressed with, dressed with camel skin, eating honey and locust in the wilderness. He's gathering crowds. He's preaching in the deserts. Luke 3.15 tells us that people were in expectation. They were all expecting the Messiah. And they were questioning in the heart concerning John whether he was the Christ. And the religious leaders are coming to John the Baptist because also they see John the Baptist as a threat to their authority. I mean, he, they're probably jealous of the, his popularity. And they're coming as inquisitors... And they don't want anyone to rush quickly and say, I am the Messiah. Now, whether John the Baptist claimed to be the Messiah, they wanted to know. They wanted to keep record. Because again, the expectation of Israel at this point in history is that the Messiah is coming. But John the Baptist is clear. He says, I am not. I am not. He confessed. He, he admits. He came out right and said, I am not the Christ. And by that word, Christ means the anointed. Now, priests, kings, and prophets were anointed in the Old Testament. But here you have the Christ. I am not the title that it's a technical term by this time. The specific individual who will deliver Israel. I am not the Messiah. If you're familiar with uh, the book uh, by Tolkien, The Hobbits, or even the movie that came out. There is this scene of this uh, guy who lives in the city in the middle of the lake. And there is this dwarf that has come. And he, he wants to take the treasure of the mountain. And all of a sudden he goes to the market. He finds one of those old genealogy. And he remembers the prophecy of the coming dwarf who was going to deliver. And it clicked on his mind that this was going to happen. And that is similar here. That the Messiah is coming, but he's saying, I am not the Messiah. And so the first thing we gather here is that, friend, as you share your testimony of how you come to know the Lord, or you share the gospel with people that are around you, or if you attempt to do anything for the Lord, you must not focus on yourself. I am not the Savior. Yes, we can describe details of our lives, our needs, or our experiences. But the central focus should be Christ. That you humbly admit that you are not the savior of the story. That you are not the, you're not playing like the hero of the situation. In fact, you are the sinner. Nor should you seek to find wrong kind of messiahs, wrong kind of saviors. In somebody else, I know that this is a trick sometimes when you say, oh, I like this brother or teacher, prophet. Friends, in Christ and Him alone, we must point Him in the way that we share our testimony. And notice also that here comes these religious leaders. Out of all the crowds, those who are opposing to the truth are actually religious people. They are not repenting. They are coming to John the Baptist to get baptized. They are actually coming to quench the work of God. See that? But our purpose remains to, as our identity as Christians to, whether you are a father, whether you are a mother, whether you are a church, 
We point Jesus to Christ, not to ourselves. Nothing that we have that we did not receive. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 tells us that there were some messianic speculation going on at the time. And they were in the air, all sort of... Uh, there were no uniform idea of how this Messiah would have looked like. It's like putting everyone together uh, and having an eschatology discussion between a millennial, premillennial, postmillennial, all different theory about the second coming or the first coming. They were looking at all the scattered evidence from the Old Testament and they were trying to make sense. Some were saying, The Messiah, when he comes, is going to be a prophet. The Messiah, when he comes, is going to be a king. The Messiah, when he comes, is going to be a priest. And there were even some tradition in Jewish time that says, are you Elijah? Why? Because some Jewish traditions were saying that Elijah was still alive. And that he's going to be, according to Malachi 4 or 5, he was going to come before the Messiah. And technically, John the Baptist is Elijah. We see this in the words of Jesus. Matthew 17, 12 to 13 says, I tell you that Elijah has already come. He's talking about John the Baptist. And they did not recognize him, but did whatever they pleased. John the Baptist was beheaded. And then the disciples, Matthew comments, understood, in verse 13 of Matthew 17, understood he was talking about John the Baptist. But John the Baptist here says, I am not Elijah. Either he humbly rejects that title, or he's not yet aware of his function as Elijah, because Jesus said that he was. In fact, he was a burning and shining light. Paul Morris once commented that no man is what he is in his own eyes. He really is only as he is known to God. That is perhaps what is happening here with John the Baptist. But remember that Christ will fulfill all these expectations. The scattered expectations in the Old Testament of a coming king, of a coming prophet, of a coming priest will be fulfilling Christ. Jesus described John the Baptist as more than a prophet. But however, Jesus, uh, John the Baptist rightly uh, says, I am not the prophet here in our text in verse 21. Why? Because the prophet here describes the the prophecy given in Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and 18, will be like Moses, and that will be the coming Messiah again. So the categorical answer of John the Baptist is, I am none of those. At this point, the, the religious leaders are a little bit frustrated in verse 22 and 23. What do you say about yourself? I mean, we came from Jerusalem. Tell us anything about yourself, John the Baptist. And now John the Baptist replies with the words of Isaiah. I am the voice in the wilderness. All along the ministry of John the Baptist was in the wilderness. Dressed like Elijah. Eating locusts and honey. But also crying out. Which means preaching. He was not a soft preacher. And what is he preaching? Make straight the way of the Lord. You Rectify, you straighten the crooked things. Why do you do that? When you are trying to get ready for someone to come, you make the way straight. And in this case, it is a repenting straightening. It is a moral transformation of a leveling of anything that is proud and haughty. 
so that the Lord can pass through that road. Ancient uh, dignitaries, before they needed to visit a province in their realm, they sent messengers to remove obstacles on the road, making the road as smooth as, smooth as possible for, for the chariots to come through when the dignitary was to come into that town. And so John the Baptist does this with the heart and lives of the Israelites who need to prepare because the king is coming. Jesus Christ, through the Son of God. And so you, you make the Lord ready so that he may travel through that road. This is a preparation through what? Repentance. To turning away from sin. Because Christ is coming. And this is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Also in Luke gives us more verses from Isaiah. Luke chapter 3 verses 4 and 5. He speaks of valleys being filled and mountains brought low. And crooked places made straight. And the rough way being smooth. John the Baptist's role is to lead people to repentance. To humble the proud. And the sinners to be brought to a clear understanding of their need of salvation. He's a mere instrument. And there in his humble being used by God. God is glorified. And so our attitude in a Christian witness is to realize that we are just delivering the message that we have been given by God. We're delivering the mail. We have no special bearing. In fact, we are inadequate in many ways. And it is actually a good thing to not seek to be, become prominent figures in this world. Not to seek to have a great name for ourselves, but to just herald Christ. Just to... Preach his gospel and the, the realizing that we have no say in such gospel. What would people say about you as we share the good news of salvation? What would people say about our church? Are we a signpost to Jesus Christ? That the content of, the, of, of, of everything is just us. No, it's not. It's Jesus we would be also content, as we saw this morning in, in the Sunday school, that if someone else has the higher place, John the Baptist is okay with that. He doesn't hold on to his brand or sources or activities or experience. And friends, remember that this is the same for us. We are awaiting the second coming of Christ. And we are doing the same thing. We are preaching the word of God to prepare people for the approaching of our king. Our task is the same, to prepare people to meet Christ. And how do you prepare to meet Christ? By turning away from your sin and believing in Christ. I gather here some thoughts from uh, godly old minister Richard Owen Roberts. I have been reading this past week this book that he wrote on repentance. That man is having Recently, great impact on my life. You could ask my wife. Anytime I'm listening to one of his sermons, either she finds me you know, flat on the ground or weeping in bed. Uh, he says this in this book of repentance. How do you prepare the way of the Lord? The preparation of the way of the Lord is always a prelude to his coming. Repentance clears the path to God. 
God has to grant you such gift of repentance. Because without repentance, you cannot make your way to God. That's what he says as he recollects this episode of John the Baptist. That means, friends, that all the devious ways in your unrepentant heart must be dealt with. Must be taken away for the Lord Jesus Christ to enter and be straightened. John the Baptist also proves to us that true servants of God are not the hipster, popular pastors that we see in our pulpits in America today. Always nice. Never want to offend anyone. When we equate love with tolerating everything, even sin. That is only hiding self-love and covetousness. No, a servant of God should be Characterized by John the Baptist like self-denial. He should not fit any of our expectations of greatness. Of, uh, in fact, John the Baptist did not conceive himself as an important person. And he points us that true servants of God are willing even to live in a life of obscurity far from society. Far from the seats of power and influence. To fulfill the task that God has given them. You see, the danger is to go beyond the danger is to seek greatness, money, success. And then you have soft preachers. I don't know where are those preachers like John the Baptist. Bold. Discriminating the crowds. Showing them their sin. Calling them out. But also practical. And pointing to this need of repentance. Friends, repentance is a genuine sorrow for your sin. But also accompanied by a turning away from that sin. As you plead for God to save you and, and to grant you a new heart. And so for, if this is not of you, may you turn from your sin this morning. John the Baptist ministered in the midst of a desolation of the church. He called out people's sin in, in what we could call a moral wilderness. Isn't that much Similar to what we are living today. But that confrontation of sin is necessary. That speaking of the wrath of God that is impending upon any sinner who has offended the Almighty God. And he needs to give an account for all his deeds. Because there is a coming judgment. There is a second coming. But now Christ will be seated and he will put everyone into the scale of his balance. To the point that he even goes to religious leaders here. John the Baptist called the religious leaders. How did he call it? Brood of vipers. They, they, they sought to come to John the Baptist to get baptized like the others. And he called them brood of vipers. Why? Because they wanted to get baptized. Without true repentance. In fact he says if you don't produce fruits of repentance. God is going to cut this tree. I mean that's strong language. And it is sad indeed when false believers go through the waters of baptism. Or they become members of a church when, when you, are, you are, have not repentant of your sin. And you are not walking in holiness. We must, friends, guard. Just like John the Baptist guard the sacraments. Even at the cost of waiting to make sure that true conversion is in your heart. That you truly repent of your sin and trust in Christ. But uh, let us continue this, 
this text. Let's go back to verses 24 to 28. And at this point, the, 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 the religious leaders are doubly frustrated. And it says, why are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, if you are not the prophet, if you are not the, the, the Elijah? Because we, we have no answer to bring and report back to Jerusalem. Why do you baptize? I mean, not just anyone can go and do this uh, baptism, which again, in Jewish understanding was a ceremonial purification. But what is more frustrating to these religious leaders is that John the Baptist is not baptizing Gentiles who are coming to the faith of Abraham. But he's baptizing people who are already Jews. People who are already circumcised. You know, tell that to, to my Presbyterian friends who baptize babies. I mean, why are you doing that? John the Baptist? This is problematic. Also, he doesn't seem to have a public office. And this seems to be actions that the Messiah should do. Why are you doing this? This is unlawful. They're challenging his authority. Or they feel challenging their own authority. Throughout this gospel, we will see this constant back and forth with the religious leader. Here's the problem. Verse 26 to 28. You have the answer of John the Baptist. Which is, gives him a sharp warning. He says, I, I only baptize with water, but there stands one among you. He's already there. You don't see him. You don't know him. You never met him, but you do not know him because you are not one of his sheep. Their pride had blinded them. They, they were expecting a different Messiah, a conquering king. But John the Baptist says, he comes after me. He's preferred because he was before me. And here's the humility of John the Baptist. I am not worthy to even lose the straps of his sandals. When Jesus will come to be baptized by John the Baptist. He says, I have need to be baptized by you. There was a way of saying in Jewish tradition that. Every service that a slave performs to his master a disciple should be willing to do, except this one, losing the sandal. That was too humiliating thing. The most humbling and insignificant thing. And, and John the Baptist is saying, I'm not even worthy to do that. This is how great Jesus is. Monica Baldwin says, what makes humility so desirable is that it creates in us the capacity for the closest intimacy with God. The recognition of our Savior. Do you see yourself this way in relation to Jesus? I know that humility is very rare. You think you, you got it and then you lose it. John the Baptist was too unworthy to loosen the straps. And what did the Savior do? He came, he washed our feet. Which in comparison, we are nothing. John the Baptist was the greatest prophet. And yet the least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. That gives you the perspective of humility before God. And you may think, oh, you know, we are happy. We have a new pastor and this and that. He has this degree and that thing. But I'm telling you, I am nothing. I'm just a servant of Christ. An unworthy servant at best. And let us draw people to Christ. Not any man here. That's the way we should be carrying ourselves around like John the Baptist. 
It is not about me. It is not I, me, mind. May God open our eyes to our need of humility. And now let's go quickly to the second and more important point of verses 29 to 34. We have established that we are not the Messiah. Let us look then that he is the Messiah. That Jesus is the identity and purpose of John the Baptist. And that should be ours too. Is to point Israel to the anointed son of God. Look at verse 29. The next day after he gave such prophecy John the Baptist. Jesus comes to the baptismal spot in the river. And the first word out of John the Baptist's mouth is what? Behold the Lamb of God. There was a promise that had been given in Genesis 22, 8 to Abraham. You remember that promise? After the sacrifice of Isaac. That God will provide himself a lamb. And now John the Baptist says that promise. That lamb has been fulfilled. He's a conquering lamb. Who will defeat all the forces of evil. That God provides that Passover lamb that the Jewish people understands needed to be sacrificed. Why? Because through one sacrifice, that lamb will take away, continuously take away the sin of the world. Friends, through this lamb of God, your sin can be canceled. Can be completely covered by the blood of the Lamb. So that the depths that you have accumulated throughout your life because of your sin will be forever gone. It's like going to the bank and it's gone. All of your depths. By the, of the sins of the world. Now let me give here a word of caution here. The, 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 the way that the world is used by John. In coming weeks, we'll see this uh, various time that it's not the point of the, the, the word world, the sins of the world. It's, it's not merely to the particular nation of Israel. So John has in view also the fact that the nations will benefit from this offering lamb. It doesn't mean that Christ died for the entirety of the world. Every physical person on this entire world. Because they still go through that judgment ultimately in hell. No, it's describing those sheep for whom we will die. An incredible big crowd of people scattered throughout the world. It's like me saying the whole world went to that concert last night in Nashville. Well, obviously it wasn't literally the entire world. But it was a big Amount of people. So Jesus' entire ministry and mission can be summarized in these words. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is, the, con the gospel is contained in this world. Few words that however have no place in the self-willed scribes and Pharisees who were coming to Jesus, uh, to John the Baptist. They prefer their way and their self-righteousness to God's way. Who place themselves in the center where only God should be. But for those who humbled themselves. And understood who Jesus is. Why he came to this world. And the fact that he's a lamb. He's a sacrifice to take away your sins. That your sin can be cancelled by. Be covered by the blood of Christ. That the wrath of God can be turned away. From you friend. 
Praise God. And behold this lamb this morning. That is the ministry of Jesus. That you may behold him in all of his beauty. That the gospel is summarizing the sin being taken away through one single offering. Once and for all. Reconciling people from every tribe and nations to God. There is no other sacrifice. Who do you say Jesus is? Have you trusted in his sacrifice for your salvation? Or like the puzzled religious leaders of Jesus' days, you still trust in your self-righteousness. May it never be. So deaf to Christ's work that is right in front of your eyes. Friends, it is only by faith that you can have this salvation. It is only at this cross that your sin can be taken away. Let us look to verse 30 and 31 briefly. Probably John the Baptist here is, is, in, is speaking to John the Apostle. And he said, it is he of whom I said he's preferred because he was before me. For he existed before him. You remember last time? We saw that Jesus existed before the world was created, right? And so even John the Baptist in his testimony, he says, I did not know him. Which is a striking statement because you think about John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. He would have known him. But he did not know that this was, that the identity of his cousin was of being a Messiah and divine. Until this point in time. Until the point that he should be revealed so that everyone in Israel will understand that here has come the Messiah. And he says, I came baptizing with water. But he will, the sum of the, 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 the task of John the Baptist is to urge people to repent in preparation. And notice also that Jesus did not need to be baptized. But the, fa the fact that he got baptized was to fulfill our righteousness. But Jesus has a better baptism. He baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. Verse 32 and 34. John looks at Jesus. He's, he's baptizing him. And, a, and, a, and the Holy Spirit comes down. Like a dove. Now it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is a physical dove. But it is described like a harmless and mild dove. And remains. Finds his home. Never to depart in the Son of God. Now this does not mean that Jesus begins to be God here. He was already God from the beginning. We saw last time. But Jesus from this point on. He is almost ordained to this specific task. To be filled with the Spirit. Equipped to also dispense the Holy Spirit to others. It's more like an ordination ceremony than a baptism for for Jesus here. He did not need any baptism. He was sinless. How, mu how much I need this reminder friends. As I feel. we, you know, Last week we started this journey together. We, we need the Lord. We are insufficient. That God and the Holy Spirit may be with us. As we embark this journey. So John says. He sees that the Spirit descending and remaining. This almost anointing of the Messiah is it's, it's with the Holy Spirit. And he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, other gospels add with fire and the Holy Spirit. That was the sign that God had given John the Baptist. This is the, the Messiah. The one that you will see the Spirit descending. 
Other gospel says also the father was present here. The father's voice has said, this is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. So you see once again the Trinitarian presence in this specific moment. It is a signature that is given by God through the Holy Spirit to the work of Christ. A Trinitarian testimony that the Father from heaven declares His delight in the Son. That the Holy Spirit descends and rests upon the Son, equipping Him for His ministry. And friends, this does not happen in a secondary moment in your Christian life. I know some churches want to say that there is a second blessing of the Holy Spirit after conversion. No, we, we believe that this happens in the moment of salvation for Christians. I know that in the New Testament, whether it's in John 1.33 here or in chapter 7.39 or in Acts of the Apostle, chapter 19, there were, there were situations where because of the transition between the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, we still have believers who, who then receive this um, baptism of the Spirit. But now we are in the fullness of, of the New Covenant. Therefore, this happens when you come to Christ. When you are truly converted, uh, the Spirit comes in and, and takes residence in you. And this Spirit's presence is a gentle fruit of the Spirit, which is kind, peace, faithful, a gentle and, and again, notice also that this coming Messiah did not come fitting the expectation of a conqueror king, but a gentle lamb. And you know why we disagree with this weird theories about the second blessing of the Holy Spirit? We still should aim to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our Christian walk. But here it doesn't mean mindless Works of the Holy Spirit. It means that the Holy Spirit equips you for every good work. And if Christ, who is the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, needed the Holy Spirit at the beginning of His ministry. So how much more me and you need that power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Especially as we begin this work journey together. My prayer is that the Spirit may fill us and equip us. To testify that God is here among us. And now briefly verse 34. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Some translations say the chosen of God. The point is, many today are looking for someone to give them a security in an insecure world. Many are saying, oh I believe if I see this sign, if I see that thing. They come as uh, questioning inquisitors to Christians. Your job, friend, is to point them to Christ. That He is the one that they are seeking without knowing it. That we must be ready to be, give consistent answers. And you may be wandering surrounded by false messiahs, false prophets. Where is the truth? I'm telling you. Is right here. The sign that you are looking is right here. And is the, the, the testimony that John the Baptist gives. Either Jesus is a lunatic or a false prophet. Or he's, he is who he said he was. And John the Baptist testified before everyone. That Jesus is the son of God. 
And, he, and John the Apostle wants you to believe in him. But that belief is not an empty shell. That belief, that faith is full of commitment. As we saw last week, Jesus was a man. But he's also more than a man. He's God. And only such son of God can save you. Remember, all the goal of all this description, this testimony, it's not for you to say, okay, Jesus was a true human being. That's it. I mentally acknowledge it. No, it's to believe, to stir up faith in you so that you may have life. And that happens through repentance. That happens almost like going into this heavenly court. You call the first witness here to the table, and that is John the Baptist. And now there is no question left for us as the jury. The verdict is clear. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Son of God. Notice that he has taken away all of our sins through his cross. There is no other forgiveness. There is no other sacrifice. And that happens if you confess your sin. And if you turn from your sin and wholly trust in the perfect sacrifice of Christ. The goal of our testimony, therefore, as we share the gospel, is to lead people to truly love God. You prepare the ground like you break up the fallow ground. So that the seed of the word of God may bear fruit. And that happens through repentance. And you receive Christ. Let us announce this to others. That Jesus is the only one who can take away your sin effectually. Jesus calls me and you to be witnesses. Just like John the Baptist. Not to make a name for ourselves, But to, for Christ to be magnified. And as Christ is exalted... We get more and more humble. That should be the, the direct effect. Proportionate to the exaltation of Christ in your life. The more you get smaller and smaller. That if Christ is the Messiah. The Son of God. The Lamb of God. The Savior. Then you are none of these things. If you truly understand who Jesus is. Then pride. Self-importance. Melts. Like an ice cream melts before the sun. How should we then prepare our hearts for the Savior? By seeing ourselves. I'm just an unprofitable servant. I'm just an unworthy servant. I am telling you. I'm a great sinner. But Christ is a great Savior. Just a voice from the Lord. That is the task. Point people to the Savior. And you see yourself like Paul the Apostle. As the least of all saints. Or like John the Baptist, you say, he must increase, I must decrease. He must increase as the Messiah, the Lamb of God, and the Son of God, I must decrease. I'm just an instrument, I'm worthy vessel. My only goal is to point people to Jesus. Let us pray.